I don't even know what a pop filter. I know it has something to do with peas. Yeah. Uh, and D's? D's as well? Yeah. Uh, it has to do with plosive consonants. Oh, wait. I do remember this from... <laughs> From Hunchpig? From, like, from, uh, from Hunchpig. <laughs> P's and D's and B's. Plosive. Plosive. Is it kind of like, is it just a little bit less than explosive? Yeah, it's the root word of explosive. <laughs> but you can explode or implode. So what is... Plode is... Plode is destruction. Oh. Exploding or imploding. Yes. There's no plode in the dictionary. P-L-O-D-E is but the Latin it dictionary. should be an explosive Look consonant. Look in the Latin dictionary. Well, I don't have that one. <laughs> should be an explosive consonant then because you're exploding. You're not imploding. You're not taking air in when you say p. Correct. So but maybe from the microphone's perspective, yeah, it is plosive. The filter does not have Implosive consonants. Because I can hear Ben breathing all over. It's going to be a really pedantic podcast. <laughs> Can't wait. Hey, Ian. Hey, Derek. Joined by Ian Anderson, a developer in our Boston office. Sean is out sick today, and I wanted to talk to Ian about a project he's been working on lately uh, called Purple Train. Tell us a little bit about Purple Train. Uh, so Purple Train is more than a pun. It is a mobile app to get commuter rail schedules for the MBTA. Right. And both of us have moved on to the commuter rail, right? Yep. And so we were discussing how the state of current commuter rail apps. And there are some good MBTA rail apps that do some stuff. Backing up a second, the MBTA makes some APIs available. So third parties can make applications that do stuff with the schedule and predictions and delays and things like that. Right. Um, and there are some existing apps, and there are certainly some existing MBTA apps that give you a schedule and some information, and maybe, depending on the app, some additional information about the train. But uh, once we both moved on to the commuter rail, kind of discovered that none of them were what we wanted. Right. But, the The one that I was using, uh, for the most part, had a lot of menus. Every time you open the app, it would kind of give you this hierarchy of, like, select your line. And it's like, I already did that last yeah. time. I want, like, I live you know, at home, which doesn't move. <laughs> and I work at a place that doesn't move. And I just want to go back and forth. I'm generally going between those places at the same time. Right. And like, I thought that when I used that same app, I was like, oh, it says I can favorite a train. This is what you do. So I right. I'm like, okay, I favorite that train, but you still have to go in to like, you still have to go like two levels deep before <laughs> yeah. you get to those trains. Right. So I wanted to kind of make an app that would make some assumptions and not be this general purpose work for anyone kind of app, but like make some pretty common assumptions about your your commuting one being that you commute into boston the whole way basically right so you're either going into north station or south station so it doesn't currently handle partial commutes where you go what they call interzone commutes right you don't go all the way to the end of the line you just right right right, right. so by making those assumptions that we end up with an app that has fewer touch points for the user fewer screens and it's simpler to code right so yeah, and basically you just, like, the way it is currently, it's being worked on, but currently you just launch the app and it's like, here are some upcoming trains and in a list. And the idea, the idea was, like, the conversation we had is, especially when we first started, like, both taking the commuter rail, going on different lines and things, you're not entirely familiar with the schedule. Like, you haven't internalized the schedule yet. Right. And you're sitting there and you're like, well, I know there's a train soon. 
when do I have to leave? First of all, when do I have to leave to catch it? Right? Mm -hmm. How how many minutes is it until this train, this next train comes? Right. And then the secondary question of like, well, today I kind of wanted to have a beer with my coworkers after work. What does that mean for like my next train? Right. Um, and none of the apps were doing this surprisingly that I could find in an easy way that was like, I'm going to help you answer this question. So yeah, yeah. Was, Even if you got to a view where you're you're saying you're looking at the you know the 7:30 trip or whatever it shows you that trip with all of the stops and like when it's going to stop along that trip. You don't really care about that. You just want to see the list of like from where I am now, right. show me the options basically. Right. So, yeah. So this was one of those things, like, I think we've had several conversations about different apps that you should build specifically. You should build. I'm very good at this about having conversations <laughs> with, about things that other people should build. Right. Uh, I should have Chris Toomey on and he can talk about all the uh, Vim plugins. Yeah. I told them that he should build. Um, He's probably actually built most of those though. <laughs> he did build me a factory one and then he finally caught on to what I was doing and was like, no, you build it yourself. Uh, <laughs> nice. But yeah, so we had several of these conversations and, and it was like, wouldn't it be awesome if you had this app that told you like when you had to leave to catch your train and like if you don't catch this one, you'll, you'll have to wait an hour. And so we were talking about this for a while and then like a few weeks went by and I was like, this is a fun conversation we get to have where we talk about, pretend about an app we want to build. Yeah. And then you were like, I'm going to build it. <laughs> so like, what are you, what's going on with it? Tell us about some tech behind it. Right. So a few months ago now, I guess I started playing around with, with the eventual idea that I would make a mobile app. I started playing around with kind of an intermediary API server because I didn't want the mobile app to hit the MBTA APIs directly you know, to get around kind of rate limiting and just worrying about those kind of problems and also performance problems. So I don't know if this is the best way to start, but I started like, oh, I'll build the back end first. And I was also like really excited about Elixir mm -hmm. at the time. Um, still am. But I started kind of from that side and thought about kind of the API I would want to have when I build an app instead of kind of the, you know, extremely nested, scary looking responses that you get directly back. Right. I wanted to just have a very simple, you know, array of small objects that describe each train, the scheduled time, the predicted time, some, you know, really small bits of metadata there. I think it makes um, sense too to, to intermediate when you're doing a mobile app because so like on a web app, if the APIs you're using break, you just update the web app and everybody that uses the web app is up to date immediately. So like if, if the MBTA made a breaking change unknowingly or knowingly to their APIs, Right. You would then be reliant, if you didn't intermediate that, you would then be reliant on all of your users, the dozens and dozens and hundreds and hundreds <laughs> of future purple train, thousands of future purple train yeah. users from, you'd be reliant on them going to the app store and updating the app or having. Right, right. Updates. I mean, presumably the, you know, the MBTA would say, you know, you have a year or whatever. Right. But mistakes happen. Transition this. Right. Yeah. So like mistakes happen and you would now, now by intermediating you can both give your app, like like as we've been discussing this app, a lot of the data that you think would just come from like one API call actually comes from like three different API calls. And so now you have a right. place where you can be like, I wanted this to be one API call. Now it is because yeah. now I have this intermediate server that's like boiling this all down for yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. There's a like schedule by routes, I think is what it's called, API endpoint that the MBTA has. And there's also a prediction by routes. And we wanted to just have that all in one packet. Right. So it only has to make one request. So it's very efficient from the app's perspective. Right. And the cache is updated, you know, every 30 seconds or so, or maybe a minute. Um, right. So it's still like pretty fresh data. So you're not really, you don't really have that downside of like, not a, not a big downside anyway of the cache. Right. And you get to use, so gen, gen servers, right? Yeah. That's, is that the first time you got to use a gen server? I or think so. Gen anything in Elixir? Yep. 
Um, <laughs> so it's actually using what is what's a gen server? A gen server is a generic server. I think so. Yes, <laughs> I was uh, hoping you would say that because I can agree to that. Yeah. The end. <laughs> I almost said general server, but yeah, I think it's generic server, which is this abstraction in Erlang for managing state, because Erlang and Elixir are you know functional, immutable languages. So you need to have this other kind of library to manage how do multiple pieces of code interact with state and kind of share that state. So the server, the gen server, holds on to a data structure and you kind of expose functions to not mutate, but change that state over time. <laughs> not mutate, but <laughs> not change. Not mutate, but just change it. <laughs> it's, I was, it's always hard to talk about how that exactly happens technically because right and like it's, at a high level view like it's mutating like that like right nothing like, interesting can happen unless you mutate something somewhere yeah. it's uh, a different there's data a side effect. structure yeah. it, it's just yeah. a different way of thinking about the right. same thing really right but yeah so the i'm actually using an, an abstraction on top of that called an agent okay which is specific to elixir and it's kind of a simpler pattern that uses a gen server under the hood but it's really just makes it even easier to just share like a single piece of um, of data. So then, is the agent itself responsible for like refreshing its own data, and then the anything that reads from, no. it, reads from the agent? How's it no, work? it's even dumber than that. It just holds on to the <laughs> data, and you just say get or update. Okay. On the thing. Cool. So get have, or put. I think. Yeah. You have some process that runs every however long and. Mm -hmm pulls and up and puts into the agent the new data. Right, yeah. There's a scheduler piece that calls out to an updater piece <laughs> that actually uses the agent okay. and updates that. And then the scheduler, after that, it schedules itself to run again in 30 seconds. Cool. Or whatever the interval is. Okay, so you got the server built and you have yeah. this thing caching. Right. What next? So then I was ready to start hacking away at the actual app. And at that point, I was just thinking about an iPhone app because that's what I use. And I've been toying around with Swift off and on for a couple of years now, but haven't really shipped anything in Swift. So that's kind of what was in the back of my mind that I would build it in. But I also had heard about React Native um, at that time. Just wanted to poke around, like see, is this something I would actually be interested in using? I was kind of turned off that it was JavaScript, but... <laughs> But there are a lot of benefits to the tooling that I was really attracted to. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, I'll give it a shot. So I just kind of couch coding one night. I was like, oh, download React Native and open up a, a simulator and just kind of hack around a little bit. And I was super like pleasantly surprised at how quickly I could get going and kind of iterate on a UI. So it has React Native when you our coding, you can actually have live reloading and hot reloading between your code and the, the simulator. So you can just hit save and literally within a second, you see your new styles or your new right. um, component changes. And happening. if you weren't using, if you were doing this native code, you'd have to recompile. Right, right. So there's a slower kind of feedback loop there. Whereas, yeah, I just got addicted to the fact that I could either hit, you know, command R just like it's a browser or you can do the hot reloading thing, which is really cool. Right. Cool. Um, that plus a lot of other workflow improvements that kind of bridge the gap between web development and mobile development. So there's this concept of a style sheet uh, in React Native, which is not CSS, but it has a lot of the same 
you know, it's kind of modeled to, to look like CSS and have the same kind of rules. You can use a Flexbox-like thing <laughs> that pretends to be Flexbox. We're laughing because we were calling it Flexbox <laughs> until uh, just before we recorded this, there was like an issue where it didn't work like Flexbox. Yeah. <laughs> um, Not quite like Flexbox. Right. It's an abstraction, right? right. Like it's, try <laughs> it's trying to give you those same tools that you have on the web. But the alternative, yeah, for layout in Xcode would be, be an interface builder, clicking on buttons and stuff to make layout constraints happen and vertical constraints and horizontal and kind of align this with that and those kind of rules, which I always thought was kind of, I don't know, hard to see what had actually changed. Like if someone put up a pull request, it's like, oh, I changed all this design stuff. And you look at the diff and it's just XML that Xcode changed. And you're like, uh, okay. I mean, I see your screenshot. I see, right. I guess it's work. It's working, but <laughs> I don't know. And then like tracking down bugs, if, there's, if you have a visual bug, you can point to a commit in React Native and say, oh, you know, we've changed this style sheet to right. from this value to this value or this new style. So yeah. it's easier to have that stuff in code and, and work right. with it. And even like like you were saying, like the when you I've never worked with interface builder before other than like going through tutorials on how to build an iOS app or whatever. But what's nice I think about the way so interface builder, you get this basically what you're getting out of this XML file. You can't really tell like there there are still plenty of ways you can overall achieve the same effect right and you're like is this the there's no way in looking at a diff to know that like i use the, the what would be like a, a good way to achieve the effect i was after whereas like right. if you're looking at something that's like css if you have another designer that's looking through and like oh you can get the same effect if you simplify his styles in these ways or like yep. get rid of this wrapping element and use this instead or something like that yeah you can um, kind it's of a lot easier to review quickly parse it in a way you would yeah a normal kind of css file right super nice so like you started, it sounds like you started using React Native both because you thought it was cool and you knew that you could get up and running probably more quickly than you could if you were writing this in Swift or? Yeah, and I wanted to try the tooling out. And like I said, I was I was surprised because I wasn't looking forward to JavaScript. Like I, <laughs> I know that's how they position it is web developers can make mobile apps now and that's cool, but I was like worried about that part <laughs> of it. Web like, developers can make mobile apps now in yeah, JavaScript. Yeah, it's like, ugh. Because I've also worked with like you know PhoneGap a couple times or like those kind mm -hmm. of intermediary technologies. Though I mean the difference there is that those were actually just giving you web views, right. whereas React Native, the native part is that it's actually it looks like you're kind of writing XML and CSS, but you're rendering actual native views. Um, so you get the performance benefits, and and you can't really tell you know from the user they can't really tell that React Native was used. Well, hopefully <laughs> to build the thing. <laughs> Right, um, until you hit upon a bug that Swift would have caught due to its strong typing or something like that. Exactly, yeah. So <laughs> It's a trade-off. That's the trade-off. You get these kind of weird errors, um, this like red screen of death where you just get this stack trace deep into React Native uh, framework stuff, and you're like, what happened here? And it's like, oh, I have a, I was expecting an array, but I got this other thing, and it's kind of not very clear sometimes where to point to in the code. Um, right. when there is a problem. So yeah, that's something that strong type checking mm -hmm. could really help. And there's some... Can, I was going to say, can you do, could you do like React Native written in TypeScript or something? So there's this thing called Flow that Facebook also mm -hmm. made, which I think is kind of similar to TypeScript in the sense that you can have optional type declarations. Mm -hmm. I haven't tried it, but yeah, I, I'm sure it would help with some of those errors. And I'm not against trying it. I just haven't really... 
And I know that uh, a coworker of ours, Josh Steiner, was talking about Elm native UI the other day, um, which is an experiment. It's experimental at this point, but it's basically building mobile apps in Elm using React Native. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's super exciting. So that would be cool because then you would still get the strong type checking. Exactly. I mean, not as familiar to web developers, perhaps, because, well, I mean, you have to learn Elm, but there's still underneath, there's still like markup and styles and things like kind that. Kind of. Yeah. Although, <laughs> well, there's not really markup in Elm. There's, it's the, yeah. you're calling functions. You're calling that, functions that produce familiar markup. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you would lose, I think, some familiarity benefits there with style sheets right. and the JSX, you know, actually looks like HTML in React, which True. is, which is nice. But you also get, so like the other benefit we didn't talk about was like, you were doing this thinking like I'm developing an iOS app. And then like our coworker, Justin was like, this sounds like an interesting project and I have an Android phone and sometimes I take the commuter rail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we took probably half of a Friday and, you know, he got Android studio set up and, and the emulator and all that stuff. And yeah, within a few hours, we had the thing working cross-platform because right. um, I was only using a couple pieces that were iOS-specific. So we could kind of quickly, oh, we can use a tab, you know, tab view in Android. Or um, Yeah, I was surprised how easy it was to kind of do that mini port. I mean, it's a small app. It's, like, you know, a couple screens. Right. And they don't actually, they don't sell React Native that it's completely cross-platform, like write once, run anywhere. Mm -hmm. They sell it as you learn once. Uh what is it? Learn once. Learn once, write everywhere, meaning like you learn this one thing and you can write what's appropriate for each platform, I think is what they're after, but you li you write it in that one thing. Right. It's not like you're yeah. going to write Java or Kotlin for the Android app and then you're going to have to write the same thing, the same concepts in Swift or Objective-C for the iOS app, I think. That's yeah. what you're trying to get. Yeah, you have the functional reactive pattern and mm -hmm. the React library and the javascript libraries that you can share and then when you need to customize things it's actually pretty cool how you customize things too you just use the file extension so if you have if you're trying to render a component called foo and it does actually need to have different code across android and ios you can have two files one is foo.ios.js and the other one's foo.android.js and from the calling component you just say import foo from path and then it will figure out, am I on an Android? Render the Android one. If I'm on iOS, render the iOS one. But in this, in the case of Purple Train, we're able to basically stay vanilla. I think at some point there were some differences, but by looking at the differences and being like, there's no reason for this to be different, we can probably find a component that works. Right. We did have some platform-specific code, but we don't anymore. But I think we are using libraries that use that pattern. Right. Um, right. So we're just abstracting kind of on top of that. But yeah, it's it's cool that we can... We're at, you know, our application code is all shared right now between the two platforms. And this is like, we're working on this on Friday. So like it takes time to spin up. We have other things we're doing on Friday. So maybe we're getting four hours every Friday or something yeah. like that. And I'm sure you're spending additional time, but it's been nice to also get input from design. Like once you got to a point where you're like, I have a thing <laughs> that works, then you can kind of sell a designer on being like, oh, okay, well, you've got a thing that works. I would love to make an app. So let's right. like... Let's do that. Yeah, so I have this. I have this really ugly color of purple. <laughs> that's hard to look at, and right. it barely. I mean, it works barely, and it. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of functional, but it's confusing, and yeah, it's been really fun to, to kind of let Thoughtbot designers like, run with it and right. dream kind of, 
you know, what could this be? <laughs> like, I see what you did here. I don't know if it's the best <laughs> way to actually display this information. I'm like, I agree. Like, right. yeah. And even today, like, they're like, much like developing a web app, like you're like, this is going to be great. And then like, you look at it for long enough and you're like, oh, it's deficient in these ways. And then like, I think I went away for an hour or something like that for a meeting. I came back and everything was broken. <laughs> like it's so, I mean, it was working, but the UI was just like, I was like, what happened? And then I stepped out for another half hour, came back and it was like, look, now it looks like this. And you're like, yeah. oh, the UI is totally different. It was working all in every step along the way. I mean, maybe that happens if you were doing an interface builder as well. Um, but it certainly doesn't happen cross-platform like it's happening. Right. So. It feels it feels very fluid. Right. Um, you can kind of like, oh, we want this component pretty much, but we actually want to reuse this other text bit from this other component. Just kind of extract a component and point to that. And it, yeah, it just feels very fluid and almost like you're prototyping, but it could be a production app, right? You, right. It has that kind of ease of, of change, which is really nice. Right. And so when this is shipped, so it's currently in test flight beta and whatever Google Play Store beta right. is. I guess maybe just Google Play Store beta. I don't know. Maybe they don't have a fancy yeah, name for it. I'm not sure what it's called. Um, <laughs> so like I have it on my phone. A couple of people around here have it on their phones. Um, we're kind of expanding the audience of that a little bit. When it does ship, and I don't want to say when, but hopefully soon. <laughs> um, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be like uh, $14. I'm uh, thinking subscription plan okay. at this point. Uh, no, no, it's going to be free. Right. Um, yeah, we want to kind of have it be a portfolio app for ThoughtBot, something that we can kind of easily show off. So it's like, hey, check this out, download this. This is what we can do with React Native. And we can do much more than this, I'm sure. But, <laughs> right. This um, is what we did in our spare time, basically. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. This is the kind of thing we think about. These are the things we think about. This is why we play... Like in, in some respects, I haven't thought about this before, but in some respects, having something like that kind of justifies the idea that we do investment time. Because it's like, right. look what we did on our investment time. We ironed out the kinks in this approach on our investment time. You're not going to pay us to do this like because you know we work for you Monday through Thursday. Right. But now we're ready to take on these types of projects. And we're seeing more and more of these. Like we actually have in, in Boston currently, we have two React Native projects. And like, yeah, you know, those we had people familiar with React Native enough to do those projects. But now we have even more people who we can rotate onto there because they've been working on, on Purple Train. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's been really exciting to see us lowly web developers um, actually contributing to, to a mobile app. I've been I've been trying to build a mobile app for a long time <laughs> um, and just using different, you know, Ruby motion. I was really excited about for a while and never shipped anything there. And so I'm excited to actually bring the project. I think part of what's making it successful from my standpoint, I think a big part of it is getting other people excited about your idea mm-hmm. instead of like, like, you know, kind of working in a, in a silo and like, right. I think if I did that, I would get excited about it for like a month and I would completely forget about it and you know, never actually ship it. So getting it onto other people's phones too made it feel like when it was yeah. on my phone, I was like, okay, this is a real thing now. Yeah. Yeah. Like I can start using this and other people are using it and they're like, Hey, uh, you know, I'm finding like, I'm still, I still have that app and I have that other app we were talking before. So I have purple train and I have that other app and I like cross check them every once in a while. I'll be like, what's going yep. on here? And like, there's one piece of information I like from the other app. That's like not quite in purple train yet. So we're thinking about ways to get it in there. But I think once it gets onto people's devices, it makes it makes it real. It's kind of right. like the first time when you're working on a web app, when you're working on it locally, it's real. But then you get it out there and like you get somebody using it, even if it's just one other person, like, you know, your mom or your dad or something like that. And it's yeah. like, okay, 
now I have a user. I have somebody, you know, this is a real thing out in the world and you're a little more motiv motivated to keep it going, I think. Right. It's super exciting once it's on device. Like, and React Native makes that really easy too. There's just a CLI for both running, what is it, React Native, run, run iOS, opens a simulator and you can say like run on device or something. I forget what the exact syntax is, but it's pretty easy to, to get all that set up. Right. So what do you think like, so we talked about what's cool with React Native. When do you think like you wouldn't want to use React Native? Great question. <laughs> um, so it is an abstraction on top of kind of the low level APIs in iOS and Android. So they don't abstract over everything that you get. Is it kind of like a least Swift. common denominator kind of thing? Or it's is a little, it a little bit better of that. than that? Or? Um, <laughs> it does feel kind of like that, yeah. Okay. They, they give you kind of the obvious components. There's a text component and a tab view and a, a scroll view and a pickers and those kind of things. Mm -hmm. But I guess if you're, at, if you're trying to build an app that needs to do some really low-level like OS integration, you're not going to have a super easy time. Like it's possible. If you have something that can be done with React Native UI stuff uh, for the most part, but then it has some little tie-ins that it might still make sense there. There is kind of a growing library scene for React Native to hook into stuff like that, like to hook into Bluetooth or certain sensors or abstracting over different UI patterns. But, you know, it's not going to be a, a necessarily a first-class supported thing. You might have to dig in and, like, write some Objective-C that, like, talks to JavaScript and... So if that sounds scary to you, then maybe it's not. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised, but... actually. I thought we were basically going to be able to say, well, if you need to use something specific to the device, you can't do it. But you're saying there are libraries coming along. Like, yep. like if you need to use the camera, there's something that you can probably use that's a abstraction over the camera. Yeah. If you need to read the raw data that iOS 10 is now supplying with can with the from the camera, like maybe not. Right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> or like if you want to do... And I do want to do this, which is why I looked it up. But the like a today extension in iOS, yeah, I was going to talk, talk about that, or like a watch app or something like mm -hmm. that. Those are not you know supported out of the box right. with React Native. That was my actual first thought when I saw like yeah. the widgets. I was like, I want a purple train widget that's like, here's the next train, right, right, and I don't have to even launch the app. And it was like, oh, for that we need to ship some Objective C along yeah. with the thing. And yeah, I think I was talking to um, to our coworker Giles mm -hmm. about this. He shipped, I think, a couple React Native apps at this point. And he's he has a Swift and an Objective C background as well. Mm -hmm. I think he was saying that that yeah you could do that probably, but it would require some Objective C chops and some right. kind of. And I think you have to use Objective C. You can't you can't use Swift at that point because if you want to interop with any of the JavaScript stuff. At yeah, all, I, I think, think you have to use Objective C. But I'm not a mobile developer, so yeah, I'm not <laughs> clear on that either. But yeah, that's the that's kind of what I heard was that the dynamic nature of the JavaScript interops better with Objective C. And then once I saw it on my phone, I was like, this is cool. But sometimes I'm just sitting at my desk and I don't have my phone out. <laughs> so could I make like a web version or a menu, like a Mac menu bar version of right. this? And it's like, well, probably. And then came across the <laughs> hilariously named <laughs> React Native Web. React Native Web, <laughs> which I swore was a joke the first time I when saw it. When I saw it. it, I just assumed it was a joke. I was right. like, oh, this is a joke. And then Chris Toomey actually explained it to me. He was like, no, no this is brilliant. Like you have a React Native <laughs> app and now yeah. you just want to bring that app to, back to the web. To the, you want to use that code, yeah. <laughs> but deploy to the web. Yeah, it's like this, wait a second, didn't, we, didn't React start out being for the web? Like, <laughs> right. 
Yeah. So um, I'm not quite entirely sure what that's like, but maybe sometime <laughs> I'll take a look at that and be like, okay, what if I did React Native Web and then I shipped an OS 10 app that was like, or maybe just like a Today View like on that they have on OS 10, like a little widget over there that's like, here's the next train or something like that. Yeah, that'd um, be cool. So who knows? I don't know if you can actually do that, but that's kind of thing. <laughs> I made the mistake there by saying I, and I should have been like, yeah, after you're done that, you should look into <laughs> yeah, that's this your, problem that's I'm having that you can solve for me. <laughs> that's um, your usual thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's, how I, that's how I do it. Yeah, so we will mm, probably not going to be shipped by the time this episode comes out, but <laughs> when it does come out, we'll tweet it or put a link in the show notes or something like that. Cool. Um, but people could check it out, and I think we'll probably end up doing a case study for it because, like I said, I think it's... Um, we can give people a good overview of what they can do with React Native and we can show clients like this is what this is the kind of thing that we can do in a limited amount of time. Imagine what we can do, you know, on a dedicated. Right. It seems like schedule. a good types of projects to hand off to a client as well if they have existing web developers or JavaScript developers. It right. Could something be... easier for them to pick up than right. potentially picking up Swift or something. Right. Exactly. Cool. Anything else about the uh, project that we didn't cover? I just want to give a shout out to everyone who helped with the app and kind of the React side and the great designers here at ThoughtBot that made it look palatable and like something that you actually want to use. Yeah. Let's name names. So like Justin Kenyon helped as a developer, Blake Williams. Yep. Uh, Cole Townsend. Yep. No longer with the company, but thanks anyway. In I our guess. hearts. <laughs> <laughs> Forever in our hearts. Yeah. R.I.P. Uh, wait, no, he's still alive. Uh, <laughs> um, Mike Borsair. Yep. Ryan Coglin. Yep. We're probably forgetting some people. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have named names. <laughs> uh, Josh Clayton helped a little bit with the Elixir side. Yep. Yeah, it's been a really... It's, it's been really, a team effort. Yeah, it's been fun been to, cool. to collaborate on. We haven't had a project like that, I feel like, around here in a while where like a lot of people were involved in, together in an investment day project like that. We've had some book clubs and things yeah. like that, but uh, it's been cool to see like today people hold up in the main conference room we have with like five or six people in there. Coming yeah, and going that, all day. that was kind of a meta goal of mine too is to kind of... Sometimes it can feel like a tease working here where I work with all these really great people, but I don't necessarily get to work with all of them day to day. You know, we're working on different projects and sometimes I'm the only developer on a client project or, or there's a designer or something. Yeah. So it's been nice to actually collaborate with each other on this and yeah. and kind of take the, you know, we are the stakeholders. You know, we can just change it right now if we want to. That's been my favorite role is just like sweeping into that room being like, this should change and then walking out. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> cool. All right. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm slash 86. As always, ratings and reviews on iTunes or Google Play are much appreciated. If you have feedback on this episode or any other episode, you can tweet us at underscore bikeshed, email us at host at bikeshed.fm or leave a comment on the website. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. See ya.